The Reformed tradition recognizes three types of law in the Old Covenant. Moral, civil, and ceremonial. And this is called by theologians the tripartite division of the law. Which at first sounds like a mouthful, but a tricycle has how many wheels? Three. A triangle has how many sides and how many points? Three. So tri is three. Partite, three parts. Right? Tripartite division of the law. Uh, division of the law into three parts. It's not as hard as it first sounds. We can recognize three parts of the law in the Old Covenant. Moral, civil, and ceremonial. The tripartite division of the law. Those who hold to the tripartite division of the law believe basically that the Ten Commandments are moral law, which are applicable to the Israelites, of course, but not to them only. Also to the nations around them and to everybody who came before the Old Covenant and to everybody who comes after the Old Covenant. In other words, as our confession says, the moral law doth forever bind all. The rest of the laws in the Old Covenant are either civil laws, which bind only the nation-state of Israel, and the ancient nation-state of Israel, at that, not even the modern nation-state of Israel. Civil laws, which bind the ancient nation-state of Israel, and no other nation-state. Or, the other laws, if they're not moral or civil, they are ceremonial. Which again, are binding only upon the ancient nation-state of Israel. No other nation. No one before them and no one after them. It's a pretty nice schema. Kind of orderly, tidy. But is it biblical? This is the most important question when considering the so-called tripartite division of the law. As I said, this is a staple of uh, Reformed theology. The historical Reformed tradition uniformly recognizes the tripartite division of the law. But we are not satisfied at CRBC merely with being historically Reformed. More than anything, we want to be biblical. So tonight we will examine this tripartite division of the law and, spoiler alert, we will see that yes, it is a biblical concept. So let's begin with an objection. Many opponents of the tripartite division of the law argue that the Old Covenant is an indivisible whole and that no distinction between the Ten Commandments and the rest of the laws is biblically warranted. For these opponents, it's not plausible that the Old Covenant Israelite would recognize a distinction between the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law in the way that modern Reformed folks would posit that there is. The Old Covenant Israelite would simply perceive the covenant to be an entire indivisible whole which he must keep with no part of it being more or less important or foundational than the others. 
This is the argument of opponents of the tripartite division. Is there any basis, then, this is the question that needs to be answered, is there any basis for distinguishing the Ten Commandments from the other laws? Yes, there is. Philip Ross uh, provides a list of distinguishing features of the Ten Commandments in his excellent work, The Finger of God. Here are just three of them, though not in the same order as they appear in the book. First, these words came from the finger of God, as the title of Ross's book alludes to. Unlike the rest of the laws, which were recorded by Moses and written down by Moses, the Lord himself deigned to write on the tablets the Ten Commandments. Second, God spoke them to the people himself. We're going to look at a number of different passages tonight, but uh, I picked Deuteronomy 5.22 as a key one to read before the sermon today. And as Deuteronomy 5.22 says, these words, namely the Ten Commandments, which precede verse 22, These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more. Of course, God spoke the rest of the laws also. Moses didn't invent them. They were given by revelation. God gave them. But only these words were spoken by God directly to the whole congregation. Third, They are so foundational to the Old Covenant that they are actually called the Covenant. We saw this in the previous message in this series on Deuteronomy 4.13, which now was a couple months ago because of COVID. But in Deuteronomy 4.13, the Ten Commandments are literally just called the Covenant. So central are they to the Covenant that they just are... Uh, referred to as the covenant, as the whole. Just as in Isaiah, God says that he will give his servant as a covenant for the people. In other words, Christ is so central to the new covenant that he is called the covenant. The Ten Commandments are so central to the old covenant that they are just called the covenant. As Philip Ross says then in his book, The Finger of God, the ten words function as the constitution upon which all else is but commentary. They were the foundation for the laws that would govern Israel in the land. Even just mentioning these three is enough to demonstrate that the ancient Israelite would certainly recognize the foundational importance of the Ten Commandments within the covenant. God spoke them himself God wrote them himself, and God calls them his covenant. And I might add one more. God commands that they be placed in the Ark of the Covenant. What other laws are in there? None. Surely then, it is a stretch by the opponents of the tripartite division of the law to suggest that the Old Covenant Israelite couldn't recognize that the Ten Commandments were in some way distinct 
from the rest of the laws. If we're fair, if we're honest, we have to concede that the Ten Commandments are certainly given primacy in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, which are the two places in which they appear in the Torah. It's very, very obvious that these are central, that these are foundational, that these are um, distinct from the other laws in the covenant. Here are two more arguments for why even an ancient Israelite could understand that he ought to ascribe to the Ten Commandments an elevated importance in the Old Covenant. One is their antecedents, which means that they came before the other laws. There was never a time in human history when it was okay to worship other gods. There was never a time when it was okay to just imagine God to be however you want Him to be and make a mental image of Him in your mind and worship that instead or carve a little idol. There was never a time when it was okay to be irreverent toward God. There was never a time when it was okay not to set apart a portion of time to worship the Lord. There was never a time when it was okay to dishonor your mother and father or murder someone or commit adultery or steal bear false witness, covet. There was never a time when that was okay. And in fact, we see all of those being broken before Sinai and uh, either explicitly condemned or implicitly condemned uh, by the way that the narrative unfolds. But what about the Sabbath day, you say? Surely we don't see that before Sinai. We do, actually, in Exodus chapter 16 which is before the giving of the Ten Commandments. There is already an assumption that the Israelites know about the Sabbath day. And so all of these things, all of these Ten Commandments, actually precede the giving of the Ten Commandments at Sinai. So the antecedents of the Ten Commandments, the fact that they're already in existence before the Old Covenant is even instituted, is another good reason to, to recognize that they are of an elevated status uh, as compared to the other laws in the Old Covenant. A second argument uh, for why even an ancient Israelite could understand that he ought to ascribe to the Ten Commandments an elevated importance in the Old Covenant is the priority of obedience to the moral law over the other laws uh, or other categories of law. I understand that these come later, but they are statements still made in the context of the Old Covenant. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, God says to His Old Covenant people, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So here in this passage, right, the Lord is not teaching that keeping ceremonial laws is unimportant. That would be the wrong way to read it, that the Lord is ambivalent whether or not they offer burnt offerings. The Lord does want them to keep the ceremonial law. The point is priority. That the Lord says here, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. 
The point is that for God, keeping the first commandment to know God, to worship God, to have no other gods before Him, but to worship Him and to worship Him alone is more important than the burnt offerings. Or Psalm 51. Again, I know that Hosea lived way later than Sinai. I know that David lived way later than Sinai, but that's not the point. Hosea still prophesied to a people who were under the Old Covenant. David still lived under the Old Covenant. And so we still see in these passages that I'm citing a priority of moral law over other types of law. Listen to David in Psalm 51 and verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. So again, this right worship of God uh, in the heart is more important than the outward ceremonies. We see this again from David. So if you have to choose, right, or if you have to prioritize, if you have to assign one more importance than another, the moral law should be prioritized even over the ceremonial law. So we have answered, not exhaustively, but I think sufficiently, this objection that the Old Covenant Israelite could not have recognized any distinction between the Ten Commandments and the other laws given in the Old Covenant. I think we've answered sufficiently this objection that the Old Covenant Israelite would have just seen the covenant as an indivisible whole with no distinguishable uh, parts which are more or less important or central or foundational relative to one another. Let's consider now another objection. Some say, well, it was all moral. All the laws were moral. It would have been a sin for an Old Covenant Israelite to break any command. This is often said with an air of authority, by the way, as if the conversation is now closed. And just the indisputable uh, refutation of the tripartite division has just been laid down. As if the framers of the Westminster Confession and the 1689 and all these Puritans didn't realize that. But now it's been cleared up. Well, this is not as strong an objection as it might first seem. The framers of these old Reformed confessions, from whence we get the tripartite division of the law, knew full well that all the laws were moral in that sense. Obviously they knew that it was a sin to break the civil laws. Obviously they knew that it was a sin to break the ceremonial laws as well as to break the Ten Commandments. The Puritans were uh, not such uh, neophytes in biblical theology that they didn't realize this, and the modern, average modern evangelical could have helped them out. That's um, certainly not the case. They knew full well that all the laws were moral in that sense, that it would have been a sin to break any of the laws. But that's not the sense in which they call the Ten Commandments moral law as opposed to civil law or ceremonial law. I'm going to quote from uh, Samuel Renahan. There's an article that he wrote in the Journal of the Institute of Reformed Baptist Studies back in 2014. And he has a good summary of uh, 
the the uh, argument for the tripartite division in here in brief. So allow me to quote from here. There is, first of all, he's not using the words moral, civil, and ceremonial just yet. He's going to use the words moral and positive. Okay, so listen. There is that which is right because of who God is and how he has made the world. That's moral law. And there is that which is right because it has been commanded. That's positive law. Once that is accepted, one must admit that within all of the laws found within the Mosaic Covenant, some laws represent true universals, right, which would be applicable to all people everywhere in all times, while others are peculiar commands for Israel. There is a unique and special character in the laws inscribed by God himself, i.e. the Ten Commandments, that marks them out from the laws written down by Moses. Confessional Reformed theology has recognized the special character of the Ten Commandments, not only through the way that they are treated in Exodus, but also in the rest of the scriptures, and thus assign a moral designation to them. In other words, as universal laws, as those which are right simply because of who God is and how he has made the world. This is not arbitrary. It is a reflection of God's own special treatment of these commands. The second and third divisions of the law into ceremonial and civil laws are simply subdivisions of positive law. So let me break that down a little bit. There's that which is just right and wrong for all people everywhere. There is no culture in the world um, where God says, I don't really care if they in that culture murder one another. Murder is always wrong. It's a universal. It's before the Old Covenant. It's in the Old Covenant. It's after the Old Covenant. Then there is positive law, which is if God gave a law that all Barbadians need to wear a red shirt tomorrow, well, it would be a sin for Barbadians not to wear a red shirt tomorrow. It doesn't mean that it would be wrong for all people everywhere on the face of the earth under those conditions not to wear a red shirt, but it would be wrong for us because God gave us this law. If we recognize that there is that which is right and wrong in all places at all times everywhere, that's what the old Reformed confessions mean by moral law. And then if we acknowledge that there are other types of laws which may change and which may fluctuate with time, that God may command certain people in certain situations to do something, but he's not commanding all people everywhere to do something, that's what we would call positive law. Now, what Renahan is saying is that positive law may be broken down further into civil and ceremonial. So these civil laws for ancient Israel are not the sort of laws that are right and wrong for all people everywhere at all times. They're part of those laws that God gave to those specific people then. Likewise, the ceremonial laws are not the sorts of laws that are right and wrong for all people everywhere at all times, but rather they're the sorts of laws that God commanded the Israelites specifically 
at that time living under the old covenant to obey. So civil law and ceremonial law are really just uh, subcategories of positive law as opposed to moral law. So that's the sense in which the uh, old reformed uh, framers of the confessions use the word moral law or use the phrase moral law. They mean as absolutes, as universals. So what we see then, after considering these objections, is that the Ten Commandments were the foundational law for the Old Covenant. Something like our Constitution is for us in Barbados in the modern 21st century. There is law which is supreme in the land, which is transcendent in the land, principles which guide the whole nation, uh, which supersede any other law. If another law is shown to be unconstitutional in Barbados, it's struck down. Uh, if a decision is made in court and it is appealed on the basis that it is an unconstitutional decision and it's heard by the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court agrees that it was an unconstitutional decision, it's struck down. There is a hierarchy of laws in any land and the Constitution in Barbados is the supreme law. In the Old Covenant, the Ten Commandments are something like the Constitution. They are... Uh, the foundational, central laws. The Constitution, however, doesn't specify how to handle each and every situation that comes up in Barbados. So additional civil laws need to be fleshed out. The Constitution doesn't speak to rules of the road, how fast people can drive, where they need to stop, where they need to yield. The Constitution doesn't spell out uh, specifically, specifically regulations uh, for the workplace, regulations uh, for banking, etc., etc. So there are other laws that need to be fleshed out in order to guide the specifics of the nation state. As it is in Barbados, so it was in ancient Israel. There were civil laws which needed to be fleshed out. You could never run a nation state simply by the Ten Commandments. If God just gave the Ten Commandments from Sinai and said, now go into the land and live in a harmonious, efficient, well-functioning society guided by these principles. That would never work. Because there would be all kinds of things that would happen, situations that would come up where more specific guidance would be needed. Now either Moses and other uh, persons could be appointed as magistrates to decide at their discretion what ought to be done in these situations, as is the case presently with the nation states here on earth. But in ancient Israel, God himself provided their civil laws. And God anticipated the sin of the Israelites, their violation of the Ten Commandments, and their violation of other civil laws. And so God desired to instruct them about how they could get rid of their guilt and how they might live with a holy God in their midst, even though they are sinners. And so God gave them 
ceremonial laws. We know we should obey the Ten Commandments, but what if we don't? Well, here is the tabernacle. Here are the priests. Here are the sacrifices. If you violate this law, this is what you should do. If you violate this law, this is what you should do. And so on and so forth. We know that these things instruct us ultimately about Christ. So the Ten Commandments are really the ideal picture of life with God, life under God, and uh, life in harmony with everybody else. The Ten Commandments are really the ideal picture of love for God and love for neighbor, which should theoretically be enough for us. But in reality, in a fallen world, after Adam sinned in the garden, uh, we don't live the way that we ought to. And we're not uh, uh, able to harmoniously live with that level of guidance. God knows that. And so he provided the civil laws to uh, help the nation state function smoothly, efficiently, uh, justly, and he gave the ceremonial laws to guide them religiously as it was inevitable that they would sin and violate both the moral laws and the civil laws that they were given. God wanted to instruct them about Christ Jesus in order that they would look away from their law keeping towards Christ himself. We know this uh, from Lots and lots of other sermons, and we're going to explore this idea further in weeks ahead. Tonight's sermon is largely a theological lesson as opposed to a moral exhortation. There is not so much practical takeaway tonight as theological takeaway tonight. Of course, we should obey God's moral law. We've talked about that in sermons past. We'll talk about that again in sermons future. Of course, we should trust in the Messiah foreshadowed by the various ceremonies. We know that, again, from past sermons. We'll hit that again in future sermons. But tonight, the purpose of this sermon is largely just to inform our minds and lay the foundation uh, for future studies in this Old Covenant series. We are going to, by God's grace, get into the details of various civil laws in ancient Israel under the Old Covenant. And by God's grace, to get into the details of various ceremonial laws in ancient Israel under the Old Covenant. But it is important before we do that, that we get the big picture of the structure of Old Covenant law and see the tripartite division and accept its legitimacy uh, as, as we have demonstrated, it is a, a biblically warranted uh, schema, a biblically warranted system so that we can understand as we get into the details of the civil and ceremonial laws uh, how those relate to the Ten Commandments 
and what their place is then uh, in the Old Covenant. So let us prepare our minds for further study in the weeks ahead. All the while, in the meantime, giving thanks for God's revelation, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And let us endeavor to continue walking by that light along the path that God has for us. And all the while thanking God for the Messiah, revealed uh, in types and shadows and predictive prophecies in the Old Testament and then revealed explicitly in the New Testament as Jesus Christ given from the Father to us for our salvation. And all the while thanking God for His grace to us in Him in spite of our failure to keep His laws.